You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thank you, brother. As you can tell, my wife is a great woman. She lasted this long, huh? She put up with a fellow like me, born and raised in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. She's a, she's a great lady. I, actually, I shouldn't mention that I was born in San Francisco. It's so crazy now. I'm almost embarrassed to say that's my home city. Oh, nobody laughed. Okay. This, see, this is going to be a tough crowd today. Hey, well, thank you for uh, uh, the invitation to be here with you today. I'm really excited. that They asked me if I would talk about the role of the church in uh, community development, and I titled this kind of a high-impact church, because I really do believe that uh, the church has a significant role to play in our cities, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, and if we were to engage in a certain way, we can really do things that are transformative. In other words, they make a real difference, right? Hey, okay, let's see. Let's get you warmed up. Well, hey, that's right. Stay quiet because they told me I could preach an hour. And uh, if you get hungry, don't worry about it. I have my lunch with me. Don't, don't, no big deal. But no, I am, I'm excited about this topic. It actually is something we should do a workshop around because it involves so much. So I'm going to give you a few seminal thoughts today, and hopefully it will inspire each of us to think a little more deeply about how God wants to use us individually and then collectively about how we can really make a difference in this world. How many know that the world seems to be a little crazy right now? <laughs> Raise your other hand if you believe that God still loves this crazy world. And how many of you believe that God wants to see this world redeemed? Amen. He sent Jesus so that this world would be literally transformed and not stuck on ugly or pause. Amen. Amen. And you and I are sitting here today to celebrate Jesus and to engage with each other and to encourage each other in our walk with Jesus because of the work that he has done in each and every one of us. And so let me, let me read, if you will, pray. Let me pray and then read a few scriptures. Then I want to just say a few things. Is that, is that all right? Okay, let me pray. God in heaven, again, we're grateful today for you. Grateful for the love that you have uh, lavished on each and every one of us. And we're grateful that you have invited us to be a part of your plan to love the hell out of people. Thank you, God, for the privilege that you give us to walk alongside of you, to see this world live into your vision. So help us, I pray. Strengthen us, I pray. Challenge us, I pray. Inspire us, I pray. In the strong name of Jesus, let everybody say amen. Amen and amen. I want to read a few passages of Scripture, and I'm going to go into them a little later, but I wanted to set the tone for what we will look to do. I tend to read from the New International version of the Bible. They told me I couldn't read from the HIV. That's the Harvey International Version. <laughs> so I'd stick with the NIV, the New International. And I want to read, first of all, from 1 John 3.16, and I'll tell you why in a, in a bit. 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions 
and see a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Can somebody say amen to that? Now let's go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 says, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now news about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering from severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them. I don't know if I gave them this text, but Matthew 35 says almost the same thing verbatim. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Matthew chapter 5, you know this one by verse, by, by heart, I'm sure. Uh, Matthew 5, 13 says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead... They put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I'm going to talk about each of these a little later, right? One more I want to read from Romans chapter 8. It says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son." that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Amen? Amen. So let me just tell you a little bit about my story. So I was born in, back in the 1900s, for anybody that cares. Uh, but, but it starts a little earlier than 1954. Um, my mother was born in 36. My dad was born in 26. His mother was born in 13. My paternal grandmother was born in 1919. And I found out that Lizzie Gamble, who is a great, great, great grandmother, was born, I think, somewhere between 19, around 19, uh, 1841. Ooh. Doesn't quite get me back to Africa, but it's in the right direction. <laughs> and I start there because we grew, as you, as you can tell, as an African-American family. In the early days, it was a real struggle in America for people uh, with my paint job. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, my grandparents were in their 60s before they could vote for the first time. First time. Uh, my father was severely alcoholic, uh, was very brutal to my mom when he, was, um, when he was intoxicated. When he was dry, he was the nicest guy you would ever want to meet. My mother, unfortunately, became a heroin addict and actually died at the age of 39 because of her addiction. My sister became a heroin addict. My aunt and her husband were heroin addicts, and there were people all around us. In fact, I have been married longer than anyone on my side of the clan uh, since, uh, but I, I can't speak for what happened in 1841. But I know with the grandmother born in 1913 and the one in 1919, I was married longer than any of them. 
fact, they had multiple relationships and marriages. <clears throat> it, was a, it was a kind of a tough, tough thing. We grew up in the housing project, projects of San Francisco. I went to uh, four elementary schools, three junior high schools, and two high schools. Yay! Yeah, I, that, that's how smart I was. One school couldn't, couldn't hold me, right? And I think none of my sisters graduated from high school. I don't think any of my female cousins graduated from high school. Um, I think one or two of my aunts may have graduated from high school. It's kind of tough. Real issues in real life. Similar to what we experience today, right? We, we have a school district in Seattle where uh, it has the fifth largest achievement gap between black and white students in the nation, not just the state. And they've been talking about closing the gap for, uh, let's see, well, I've been in Seattle 39 years. And they were talking about closing it before then. And I'm asking today, really, does it take that long to close an achievement gap? My, my wife is a 28-year education vet. She was an elementary school principal for 13 of those years. And she said, babe, I just, I, I just don't get it. I don't know why it's so hard to close the gap. And so they asked her uh, to come back to Seattle. She was a principal in Puyallup, so they recruited her and brought her back to Seattle. They asked her to uh, be at a school in our neighborhood that had underperformed for 25 years straight, which means they didn't meet the standard in reading or math or anything else. Uh, in, in a two-year period, my wife uh, blessed that school, and we did too. Our church was very involved, and I'll talk about that a bit more later. And in two years, her school outscored every school in the district in math and reading. She had more, more parental involvement than they ever had, more community involvement than they ever had. The kids came to school regularly. In fact, the year before she got there, the teachers, the staff, had missed collectively 464 days of work. So they weren't even coming to work. Do you know they put her out of that school? They said she was a horrible leader. Because they have this narrative that said, we want to close the gap and we want to uh, see them improve. But when it started happening, she, she, she was befuddled. Very befuddled. It's like, what, 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 what's going on here? Come to find out that their money tied to poor students as long as they underachieve. And when they start to achieve, guess what goes away? And because of the funding mechanisms in, in our state, uh, they claim they never have enough money for the schools. And so if they can find extra money somewhere, they want to hold on to that as long as they can. And you, you can't do that at my expense. And that's what's tended to happen. So let, let, me, let me move along in my story a little bit. <laughs> and so, so as a teenager, we, well, let me say this. We were not a Christian family. Okay, can I be clear? We didn't even pretend to be Christians. We were rank sinners, baby. Amen. <laughs> I mean, we 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 had this we we had this white book. It was about yay big, about yay long on our coffee table, but we never opened it. And it had a picture of a white guy on it. He had kind of like skin like some of yours and had long hair. Later on, I found out it was supposed to be Jesus. Well, we never opened it. We never read it. We, we, never, we never prayed, right? And so I got, I got introduced to a buddy in junior high school, and when I got to high school, I decided, hey, man, let's go check out your grandfather's church. He happened to be 
a PK, right? And I got involved in that church. And uh, I, was, I was doing drugs and stuff when I first got there. I was drinking, I was smoking at the age of 11 and doing a bunch of stuff. But, um, but they, they, somehow they embraced me. But you know, they never ever spoke to my mother. And so I got my mother to come to church with me one Sunday night. And it, it took a lot to get her there. And when she was there, I'm telling you, the Spirit of God hit that woman, and she was crying, and she was falling at the altar, and she was, she was having a God moment. Do you know not one person ever said anything to her after that moment? And I often wonder, would she still be alive had somebody reached out to her? The other part was, uh, I remember uh, later on after I got involved with this church, uh, and had been involved in years, I, I met this young lady. I said, I, you, 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 wait, you, no, you, you look familiar. Come to find out she was my neighbor. We lived in a three-story flat. We lived on the third floor. This family lived on the middle floor. And, and I, we, we were neighbors. Come to find out they, they were a Christian family. And they never, ever talked to us about Jesus. And we... We went to the same school. We, we engaged. The, it was just this crazy thing. So needless to say, I grew up with a little, well, folks talk about church hurt. That was my church hurt. I got involved with this church. I was a junior deacon. I was an usher. I was in a choir. I did everything. I was at every Bible study, everything. And they loved me to, to pieces, but never, ever reached out to my family. And I thought, dirty dog. And so I grew up with a little frustration. So I became frustrated with the church because I thought, what good is the church if it's not really engaging with people that need it? What good is it? Why do we even exist? And so out of that frustration, I, 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 I committed my life to Christ, and I felt like God was calling me into ministry, but I thought it was just to be a solid believer and somebody who told other people about Jesus as often as I could. And that's in my spirit. That's who I am. That's what has driven me all these years because I have this crazy idea that God wants to transform places and people and things. I have this crazy notion that God is not satisfied with things being broken because in his mind they are supposed to be whole. But the frustrating is that, that he, he taps people to be involved with that but they don't always respond to his call. Not everybody's called to be a preacher, because not all of you are going to be as loud as me. Amen? <laughs> not all of you are called to be a singer. Yeah, 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 either. Okay? But God calls each of us to be a witness wherever we are. Amen? And so, so let, 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 me, let, me, let me just kind of shift from my story, because I want to just give you a little background, because I, I felt like we needed some help. We needed somebody who knew God, who loved God, who would come along and kind of help us, and at least introduce us to the idea of who God was. Uh, how many of you know uh, Dr. Martin Luther King? Raise your hand. Have you ever, ever heard of him? Uh-huh. Uh -huh. What's missing in his title? Okay. So most of the culture calls him what? Dr. Martin Luther King, but he was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King because he was a reverend before he earned his doctor degree at Boston. 
Imagine with me what was going through the mind of this young 29-year-old holding the Bible in one hand, holding the culture and the newspaper in the other hand, and imagine him grappling with the incongruence in what he saw, one thing from God's vantage point, but one thing in the culture. It disturbed them to the point that they began to organize in the South. They got tired of people having to sit in the back of the bus and not being able to sit in the front of the bus. Or if the bus was crowded, certain people had to get up and give their seats to other certain people. They got tired of the fact that they weren't being paid a a fair wage. And so, so the church, if you will, became involved in saying enough is enough and it is out of step with what God wants for his humanity. <laughs> Ooh, Lord, have mercy. Am I glad for Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King? Absolutely, positively, unequivocally, yes. Because he set in motion a picture of what the scripture declares. Let, let me read for you again Matthew chapter 23. It says that Jesus went throughout all the region. Amen. All the region. All the region preaching in the synagogues and he preached about the kingdom of God and he healed all who were sick and diseased. What do you see there? Him addressing the spiritual as well as somebody say it with me, the social. Okay, again, go back to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. You would think Jesus was stumbling or he forgot his place, but he repeated it. It says that he went throughout all the region, the villages. He was preaching in the synagogues about the kingdom of God Right, so they can understand who God was, but he was also addressing their practical needs, their tangible needs, their physical needs. And so you see a beautiful picture of God doing both and, not either or. We see him proclaiming the gospel, and we see him demonstrating the gospel. How many know that some people won't understand what you say until they can see what you believe? And so we have this dichotomy that has crept into the church. And most folks don't realize that in the 1800s, they didn't have hospitals as we have them today. If you got sick, you know who took care of you? Your family at home. They didn't have a lot of public institutions for everybody. Do you know why there are over 100 historically black colleges and universities in America? Um, all of which are are east of the Mississippi. Because there was a period in our history where black people were not allowed to go to white institutions. So we had to create our own. Dr. King looked at that and thought that that, that ought not to be. In fact, Ruby Bridges, you remember Ruby Bridges? She's a young, young lady that was integrating the schools back in the South. She's 69 years old today. It happened in 1954. And they had to bring the guard out to protect her because she was going to do something that nobody wanted done, even Christians. And so we have this issue. We, 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 we've got to do some things. Okay, so let, let, me, let me get to this practical thing. Okay, let's go, let's go to grounded in history. Okay. This is what I want most people don't realize that from the 1830s to the 1890s, Evangelicals led the charge in social movements to abolish enslavement, okay, Uh, rights for women. They advocated for the poor. They urged temperate use of alcohol in order to to quell 
uh, and stem degradation and domestic abuse, right? They, they worked to eliminate urban blight because they saw what Jesus saw, what Jesus demonstrated is that it's a both and. You both proclaim the gospel and you also demonstrate the gospel. The church ought to do something that makes a difference. We shouldn't just be here taking up space and having good worship services. And thank God you had some good worship leaders today. I wanted to stomp, but I said, it's not my church. (laughs) I can't stomp at somebody else's house. They're not stomping. Lord have mercy. Woo, Jesus. Well, it's so good. And and I know you have good preaching here. Amen. Because I I love your pastors. I love them, man. They they are solid to the bone. If not, they got me fooled. (laughs) But God didn't just call us to have good worship services. Good, good singing, good music, and good organization, and good Bible studies. He called us so that we can be salt and light in places where it is needed the most. And the church has a role, a beautiful role in community development and helping to make things better. And if, if this is not the time for us to engage, I don't know what is. Because when it's darkest is when you need light, amen? And God knows this world needs some light. So, 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 but, but we start by being an impactful church in this role of community development by being grounded in history. Understand that the church was involved, Salvation Army and hospitals. Anybody ever heard of an institution called, is it Harvard? <laughs> Yale? Princeton? How many of you realize that those institutions were started as organizations to train pastors in the early, in the early America? They have moved from that, but that's why they started. Salvation Army started because the church wasn't engaged, and, and Booth said, we, no, no, the church should be involved in helping to make a difference for the poor and the indigent and the left out and the marginalized and those who have been forgotten and ostracized. And so he began that movement and began to train evangelists, and it grew and grew and grew and grew until we still have what today? Salvation Army. Because the church has roots in making a difference. I am so glad for those Quakers. <laughs> Lord have mercy. They can quake all they want. <laughs> because they stood up for the abolition of enslavement. And they said it's out of step with Scripture, it's out of step with God's created order, and it must stop. And, and, you, and you know what? <laughs> I don't know why most black churches are Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians, because they were the slave owners. But they say you overcome your, well, I won't go there. But I, but I'm, I want you to see that, 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 that this is grounded in history. I could say more, but I won't. Let's go to the next slide here. Uh, yeah, current, current snapshot. Okay. Uh, as David mentioned, 36 years ago, I was led to start this thing that is now called Urban Impact. Initially, it was called Emerald City Outreach Ministries, and we had Emerald City Bible Fellowship. And we started that thing because, again, out of my own frustration, I kept saying that the church ought to be making a difference wherever it is planted. And so it was our aim to do Matthew 4 and Matthew 9. 
We wanted to proclaim the gospel, but we also wanted to demonstrate the gospel. We wanted to, we wanted to live into 1 John 3, 16, and this is how we know what love is, that Christ laid down his life for us. Therefore, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And if any person has material possessions and see his brother and sister in need and do nothing about it, how can they dare say God is in them? And those scriptures drove me, and I said, God, can we put something together that would bring back together this doing and the telling of the gospel so that the church is involved in making a difference. And so because of that, we started doing some practical things. Again, Seattle has the fifth largest achievement gap uh, between black and white students in the nation. So we said, what do we do about that? Rather than fight against a system that is not interested in changing, we began to put together tutoring programs. We started doing summer schools. Every, every summer we did a six-week summer school. We hired certified school teachers that were, that were believers. We had college students involved, and then we started around that a, a leadership development program from high schoolers who helped us during the day, and in the afternoon we took them through leadership. We paid them a weekly stipend, and then they could earn a $1,000 scholarship for every summer that they were with us, and we held that scholarship in trust until they were ready to go on to the next level after high school. We did that because we said, God, uh, we, we got to help kids make the grade. And I'm happy to say today that some of the kids that we work with are now attorneys. Some of them are doctors in chemistry. Some of them have MBAs. Some of them are school counselors, huh? Be because what we said to them is that, no, no, you have to understand that there's a brighter future somewhere. And it was the church saying, look, I want you to start looking up and looking out. I want to expand your experience so that you can know that there's more to life than what you realize. And don't you ever let somebody tell you you can't do something and somebody's holding you down. We've always had to fight obstacles, always had to fight uh, uh, the, 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 the evil one trying to hinder and to hamper and, and to stall things. But, but because of God's grace, because of God's grace, we have achieved as a people. Have all of us gotten there? No. But some of us have lost our roots because we, we walked away from the church and that thing that inspired us and, and helped us to see that we were somebody because of who God made us got away from them. So we started doing that. Then we realized that at some point somebody's got to help kids think about leadership. And we wanted to do it from a biblical perspective because some of the leadership we have today is not really good leadership. I'm sorry. That they're not inspiring. I keep asking my city leaders, can you tell me something that's going to inspire me? That's going to encourage me to want to do better and to be engaged and to be involved instead of have to fuss and cry and moan all the time. Inspire me. Instead of telling me that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, tell me how things can actually get better. So we started this leadership program, the church, our Christian organization, <coughs> because we wanted kids to to learn leadership from a biblical perspective. So when you become a leader, that you will have an, a strong ethic. You become a leader, uh, you, you will be people of integrity, that you will be honest. Even if it hurts, you'll tell the truth, amen? You won't play games with people. You won't tell them one thing and then do something else. They needed to know that. But the church had to come in and help make that happen. And then uh, we discovered that uh, our zip code, 98118, was the unhealthiest zip code in the state of Washington. We thought, God, what, what, what do we do about that? So we started Rainier Health and Fitness. Pre-COVID, we had 1,800 members. We had a CrossFit training center, had 100 members. 
And uh, we're, we're, we're climbing back now that we're coming out of COVID. We're climbing back before then. We did it because, hey, if we wanted to work out anywhere, we had to leave the neighborhood. There was nothing in the neighborhood that we could go to. Now, since we started, they're popping up all over the neighborhood. We got three or four CrossFit centers. I'm going to say, send, send me my money, baby, because you got inspired by me. Send me my money. It's not a franchise, so they're not obligated. But, but it was interesting. There was, one, there was one gym, there was a muscle building gym. As you can tell, I'm not in the muscle building. Don't laugh, don't laugh. So, so, so we did that. Then, then we were blessed to get this little small three-acre piece of property, and I said to the church, we were maybe 30, maybe 40, maybe 40 people then. If we buy this property, can we see ourselves using it for something other than just a church? Can we use it to do something that really elevates this neighborhood and uh, augments the neighborhood to bring something that's not here? I said, if we cannot see that, then I would encourage us not to buy it. Not to buy it. And they, they, they agreed. They, yeah, we, we can do that. And so with our little three-acre parcel, we, we built a little small 15,000-square-foot, two-story thing for ourselves so we can have a stable place to meet. We have office space there. We can do some program out of it. But again, we, we, we looked at it and said, we, we need a health center, so we used it to build a health center. We realized that housing was getting away from us, not becoming unaffordable, inaffordable, una, una, you, you know what I'm trying to say, <laughs> not affordable. And so we were blessed to build this small 61-unit apartment complex on our, on our campus. And then we embedded our gym inside of it to give it a little more space. Then we took the smaller space, 4,000 square feet, and built the, um, the, the CrossFit deal. And we, we did that just because we said, God, how does the church engage? How do we make a difference? I, I started going to the neighborhood planning groups, and I was involved with Rotary, and I went to the Chamber of Commerce meetings. And people said, why are you spending all your time doing that? Because... Uh, if we're going to make a difference, we got to be engaged and involved. And I believe that you cannot change anything you can't touch. So you've got, you have to get close enough to it to touch it, to change it, to inspire it. Amen? <laughs> I could tell you stories about that, but uh, I'm out of time. So, so let, me, let me go. Let, let's, let's talk a bit about the, the, the biblical principles behind this. As I mentioned, 1 John 3.16 became really important to us. We, we saw God dealing, speaking about the ethereal, the, the theoretic, if you will, but then he made it practical. Those of you who have material possession, do something with it. God gives us stuff so we can make a difference. Because when we leave this earth, guess what? None of it goes with us. And your kid's going to mess it up, so you may as well give it away now. <laughs> I know very, several very, 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 I mean, stupid, wealthy people who had big hearts and just gave, gave, gave. And when they passed on, the children got it. They don't give a dime. But it was that, it was that thing. It was that, that pulling together, the doing, the telling, the proclaiming, and the demonstrating, the proclamation and the demonstration, the, the telling and the doing. And God knows that there needs to be a church to do that because churches too much are into themselves right now. 
And I don't know about you, but God is not a capricious God. He's a purposeful God. And he called us for a purpose. He anoints us for a purpose. He heals us for a purpose. Amen? He takes us through hardship for a purpose. See, I can identify with broken people because I was broken. I can identify with those who, who had to live on public assistance, right? I can, I can identify, identify with people who got caught up in a system that was supposed to help you but kept you locked into poverty. That's our public welfare system in many cases. It keeps people locked into poverty. It does not push them up. And so I'm into development over rescue. Because I think God wants to build the capacity of every person. Amen? Okay, so... Ooh, Lord have mercy. How, how, how much time do I have? Oh, okay. Right on. <laughs> the pastor in line says keep on going. So, so, so it's that biblical perspective. Let, let me just share a couple other passages with you. Uh, because most people don't know. Do you know that the Bible actually speaks about justice in the Bible? Most churches don't talk about that very much. And so in the past couple of years, there's been a lot of talk about justice, justice, justice. And as pastors have been talking about it from a holistic way, people resist it because they say, now you're being political. That's because we don't understand that the Bible actually talks about justice. Psalms 33, 5 says that God loves righteousness and justice. Psalm 80, 80, 87, 14 says that uh, justice and righteousness are the foundation of his throne, and it's repeated in Psalm 92, uh, uh, 92, 97 verse 2, excuse me. Let, me. let me get that right. Yeah, 97 2. 89 14. Yes. 89 14. And so the Bible is replete with that. And if you go back and read that passage you love to read about fasting in Isaiah 58, you'll discover that God did not like the way they fasted. But he said, This is the kind of fast that I want. It breaks. Chains, it releases the captive. Okay, so fasting, he said, you, you fast, but you're still pointing the finger at each other. You're still cussing each other out. You're still maligning each other. You're still, and he said, you're having all these festivals. Oh, they make me sick. I want to, ah. read Isaiah chapter 1. It tells you, uh, the first 17 verses, God was puking the whole time they were having these festivals. He said, because it's all about you. But I didn't call you to have a festival so you can just have a great time. But I called you so that you can make a difference. Amen? And Micah 6, 8 is a beautiful passage that says, what does the Lord require of us? Come on, say it with me. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk. Get off your hobby horse. <laughs> Some of you guys are so arrogant as pathetic. Not just, I mean, not, not Trinity, those other churches. Those other churches are so arrogant, man. But, but those are texts that, that speak to us. So let, let me switch with the little time that I have left. So what, what can the church do? I think we have to realize that the 21st American Christians currently find themselves in a very different cultural context religiously. Not everybody's tied into God the way we were back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, even 50s, 60s. Right? Very, very different place. <coughs> uh, <clears throat> we know that liberal and mainline churches are in serious decline and disarray. Conservative, neo-evangelical Christians, which had become the dominant, they become stagnant. We're, 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 we're not doing much ourselves. You know what I mean? We, we, yeah, we've got nice churches, we've got nice budgets, and we've got fancy stuff, but what difference are we making in the culture? 
Except for, I should say, that your, your immigrant churches are, are doing a bang-up job because they're still standing um, firm on the Scripture. So I think it starts with this. Churches that, that, that make a difference can do this. I think it starts by realizing that the New Testament uh, is written to help us understand that God wants to change this world. If God wanted us to stay the way we were, he would have never sent his only begotten son. Period. That alone ought to stir us. Say, well, if God sent this son to change us, then shouldn't we be changing something too? Amen? We need to start realizing that the kingdom of God is on earth is central to the New Testament message. That's what Jesus spoke about. I have come to to initiate, if you will, God's new kingdom. I want you to be aware that God had a plan way back when it got kind of jacked up somewhere, but he is now reordering his perspective, amen? Ordering his mission. And I often tell churches uh, uh, that we should never argue over mission because mission has been set by God and by Jesus. What we can discuss is how we implement it. Realizing that the kingdom of God is central, is a central message in the New Testament. Then I want us to, I want us to, to, to get beyond this great divide that I've been alluding to, right? The great, we, we have these two wings of the church. Have you, anybody ever flown on a one-wing plane before? No, but have you ever seen a one-winged bird do his thing? No, you haven't, have you? If, if, if you've seen a one-winged bird, he's on the, on the ground. He's not flying, right? And so we've we got we to break this, this biblical divide be, between the doing and the telling. We have one wing of the church. They want to make sure you have a good wage, you have a place to live, clothes on your back, but they don't tell you nothing about Jesus. You got the other wing of the church. Oh, man, we're going to make sure you know about Jesus and nothing else, and we'll leave you hungry. We'll leave you without. Hmm? And so what we have to do then, if we're going to be a church of impact that makes a difference. We got to bring those two back together. Amen. We got to stop separating our personal faith. Talking about it's private. There's no such thing as a private faith. Well, well, my faith is private. No, it is not. And stop it. Okay. We, we got to stop separating our personal faith from private expression. Okay. That, that notion is, is an American Western heresy, really. It really is. <laughs> I'm messing some of you guys up, I can tell. Now, listen, how many, how many of you in here consider yourself boomers? Yeah. I'm a boomer, too. They say boomers love to talk about what's true. It's all about facts, right? And I know I'm in the part of this group that says, where is it written? Right? Then you got your Gen Xers. They, they always wanted to talk about what's real. They wanted you to be authentic. And in that season, guess what? Pastors started burying their souls over the pulpit. They started crying. <laughs> started talking about how their knee hurt. Because <laughs> they were trying to relate to those who thought we ought to be real. Then your newer generations, they're asking what, what, what is good. And they're asking why is the church not involved in solving, solving homelessness and solving education that's not working and working for a better economy. They, they want to know what's good. How many know that Jesus was all three of those? Amen. 
Amen. Jesus was about truth. Amen. Jesus was very authentic. Amen. And Jesus was about doing good. At some point, we got to stop allowing the devil to cause us to fight over this foolishness. And we need to put, up, put our hearts and our spirits together so we can do something right. I think it was Maxie Dunham. He is at Asbury Theological Seminary. He said, Christian faith is personal, but it is not private. At the heart of our faith is piety. We, we got to come back to a place where holiness matters. Righteousness matters. I'm, I'm listening. A amen? amen. But but we also have to realize that 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 justice from a biblical perspective matters as well. Amen. And know the difference between social justice and biblical justice. If we were in a workshop, I would break it down for you, but I can't do that right now. So what can the church do? I think the church really has enough people and resources to do some incredible things. Just look around you. Connect with some of the schools in the area. Look for what's missing. Where are the gaps? Now, now some, some areas are different. Like not, not areas like Rainier Valley where you have a lot of renters. Don't have as many homeowners, right? Um, uh, the, the schools in West Seattle, I think, are a little better than the schools on the east side. Because I know the schools on the north end are much better than the schools on the south end. North End schools tend to be three to five in their five-point scale. South of the canal, they tend to be three and below. I think there at one time was only one school in the three. Most of them were one and twos. And I mean, look, look around and see what, what can the church do? And I think if you put your head and your heart together and you spend some time praying about it, I think you can discover how God wants Trinity to be a light. This is why I love that passage in Matthew 5. It says, let your light shine Mm. in such a way that when people see your good deeds, they glorify your Father in heaven. How many, if you, do, if you do a study of the word glorify, one aspect of glorified is connected to the idea of opinion. And in this passage, it really says, I want you to live your life in such a way that when people see the good that you do, that they form a right opinion about God and then join you and glorify God. Church, we got to let our light shine. Gonna let our light shine. I work with the Seattle Police Department, trying to help them get through some of their stuff and the and the incongruence between how the departments engage with people with my paint job and others. But I'm doing it in a way that's bringing people together, not pushing people further apart. Now that's what you have to watch for. As you listen to the news, and I, I wish you wouldn't because it's crazy right now. But listen to those who are trying to bring you together versus push you further apart. Listen to those, those who are trying to create separation, trying to create angst. Listen to those who are trying to make you mad at each other. You know, my brother married a white woman. My brother-in-law married a white woman. I don't know why, but they did. <laughs> and if I listen to the news, I need to call them up and say, get those races out of your house. Because that's how they talk about it. White people are just inherently racist. There's no redeeming factor anywhere. The gospel makes a difference, baby. Come on. Amen? Amen? There are some black angry people in the world, but if they don't have Jesus, they express their anger against people that are not like them. I was one of them. But the gospel makes a difference. G 
Jesus Christ makes a difference. But those people don't want that. They want to keep us angry with each other at each other's throats. And so, so you look for those that are trying to bring people together. I engage with the King County Prosecutor's Office because I'm trying to, trying to understand you know, how, 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 how are these laws working? What are they designed to do? And can they be tweaked somewhere so there's a bit more fairness in our system? But I try to do it in a way that brings them together. We ran ninth grade support homework centers for three high schools in our neighborhood. The district paid us to do it. Because they saw us as a partner in the community. We ran an after-school program for my wife's K-8 school when she was teaching there 15 years. Because they saw us as a partner in that community. So they said, would you come, Reverend Drake, and do this? And this is crazy. They, they would have meetings. These black schools would have, it was, a, it was the African-American Academy. And you know, black folks, some of them go to church, some don't. But they still kind of believe in prayer. They'd have public meetings. They said, Reverend Drake, when you open this meeting of prayer, the superintendent would be shaking in his seat. You, 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 you can't have, they say, yeah, we can have them pray because in our community, we pray. So what I'm asking God is to give me the courage to do what needs to be done in the way that he wants it to be done so that his will can be done in earth as it is in heaven. The church has a role to play in developing our communities. The church has a role to play in bringing healing to our neighborhoods. The church has a role to play in <clears throat> And seeing our city healed. God, would you help us to see what that is? And it shouldn't take us a long time because God's speaking all the time. God, time out for that. I'm going to pray about it a whole year. No, you don't. No, you don't. Just get on your knees. Sit and if you shut up sometime and just listen, <laughs> you, you might hear what God saying. Well, God, you know, Aunt Susie needs this and Cousin Ned needs that and my son needs this. Oh, my daughter this. And, oh, Lord, my child. Oh, bro. Hush. Sometimes just sit in this presence and say, God, speak to us. And I believe that God can speak to us individually, but he can also speak to us collectively. Amen? Why? Because, because it's, a great, it's a great cause. God loves this place and he wants it healed. He wants it well. And he invites us to be a part of that process. I can say a lot more, but I'm going to quit because then they'll start cutting my, my honorarium soon. <laughs> God bless you. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.